Yes, it is, and welcome back this Thursday, August 26, 2021. It is a delight to welcome into the studio uh, someone I count as one of my closest friends. Our families have been friends for, I was thinking about this, probably over 50 years. Um, at least that. At least 50 years. And that is candidate for Governor Karen Taylor Robeson. Uh, one of my dearest friends. We've had her on before when she was here defending the First Amendment. Uh, we've had her daughter on. I don't know if people know, know that that wonderful college, uh, young young uh, female college student we had in the studio one day wanted to see what I was doing. She came in and she said, I said, do you want to talk a little? She said, sure. And she was talking about what it means to be a conservative on the college campus today. Uh, your dad is a regular listener and caller as well. He is. I feel like this is an entire family uh, affair and uh, production here, Karen. Karen, you have a lot of um, a lot of uh, experience and a lot of relationships that are pertinent to what we're seeing and take place in Afghanistan today. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. But before we do, tell the audience a little bit uh, about you, as you would like to um, give your biography as to why you're running for governor. Why am I running? Well, I tell you what, Arizona is under attack. Right, Our border is being overrun every day. We're watching it on the news. I've been down there. I visited the border, and, and it, is, it is beyond words at this point. Uh, Nancy Pelosi wants to federalize our elections. That will be a travesty for the entire country, uh, and, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that does not happen. And third, our kids are being indoctrinated in our schools. And as you said, I've been a, a very vocal and passionate advocate for the First Amendment and for civics education. And what I see going on with critical race theory and everything else, it's designed to divide our kids, divide us, and teach our kids to hate America. And I am not going to sit back as a spectator and watch this happen. We are under attack. And I have been a lifelong Arizonan. I love this state. This state has been inordinately good to me, and I'm not going to sit back and watch our freedoms be taken away. God bless you. Gosh, I, you know, can you imagine a world where I'd love to imagine a world, I envision a world where Larry Elder is the governor of California, you're the governor of Arizona, and Herschel Walker is a senator from Georgia. I mean, we, we, we are at the potential here of turning things around, but they need to be turned around. Things are awful. Things are just awful. When you look at what's going on and took place in Afghanistan today, you put out a very powerful message today, Karen. Um, tell the audience what you said about uh, the president in Afghanistan today. I did. I, I called on the president to either lead or resign. What is taking place in Afghanistan is it, it's beyond words. You know, I, had the, I serve on the uh, civic leaders group of the Air Force chief of staff. And I had the opportunity to visit Afga Afghanistan in 2007. And I went to Bagram Air Force Base. And it was, it was an amazing experience to, to witness uh, the men and women in uniform over there and what they do for us. And that was, that was after we had accomplished the mission that we were there for. And so I'll be the first to say we probably stayed too long. But what he did, I, you know, I hate to say it, I hate to sugarcoat it, but it was complete incompetence complete in how inc they did this. It's, it's complete incompetence, and I think there's a callousness, too, isn't there? We, uh, you, as someone who promotes civics and history education, have been a long time here. Uh, we, we try not to repeat the mistakes of the past. There have been all these conversations about repeating Saigon, this being Saigon 2.0. What I've been trying to remember, remind people, Karen, 
is it's not just the pictures. It's not just people falling off or clamoring onto or climbing onto planes and aircraft. It's about the years after, the years following. And you think about a day like today, probably the worst loss of life for our military in at least a decade on a single day. You think about that. You think about Saigon, 1975. We lost two soldiers in that evacuation. I was thinking about Desert One under Jimmy Carter when we tried to rescue the hostages. We lost eight soldiers. This today is worse than Desert One and Saigon together without even looking at the out years. Well, and today is bad, and it's just started. Yeah. What happens after the deadline of August 31st? Right. You know, it, it, it's, it's, like I said, beyond words to think that we're now handing over to the Taliban the list of all of the Americans left. It's like handing over a kill list. And I, I, I don't understand it. I have talked to members of the military, you know, who, who shall remain uh, anonymous at this point, but they don't understand it. I mean, there is no reason why we couldn't have waited another month or 45 days until after the fighting season. And we could have avoided the loss of life. We could have evacuated our people in an orderly fashion. We also could have uh, removed the $84 billion worth of equipment that we left behind, that you know, as well as I know, are now in the hands of enemies, not just the Taliban, but very likely the Chinese. Oh, and the you Russians. bet. And the Iranians. I mean, I, there's going to be a, an arms bazaar. Right. There, the, right. it, to the people who say, well, they can't use some of this sophisticated stuff. Well, maybe not, but they know how to sell it. Right, right. And then let's talk about what this means to Arizona. Please. Right. We are on the front lines of the invasion of our border. Right. The secretary, Biden's secretary of Homeland Security admitted last month or that last month we had over 200,000 people crossing the border. And that's actually just the apprehensions. Just the ones we can get. Those are just the ones that we apprehended. So what the total number is, we don't know. And, you know, conservative estimates are that 10 percent of those are not here because they're refugees from another country. They're here to do us harm. Mm -hmm. Right. That's 20,000 people that are here to do us harm. That is called. We know what 19 can do. Right. And so we now have an avowed enemy of America chanting death to America in the streets of Kabul. Right. And not only do we have an open sign at our southern border, but we have the welcome mat out. Right. So as a as a future governor of Arizona, I want to know what the Biden administration is going to do to keep the people of Arizona safe. One of the things that I find kind of interesting about the rhetoric coming out of the White House is it almost seems as if the American people are far ahead of the White House, care much more about this than the White House. It's an odd thing, and it's an odd thing to say, as if our leadership isn't as good as the American people. I don't think it is, certainly not over the last several months. You have the vice president in Asia, Vietnam, Saigon, doing who knows what when she says Afghanistan is our single strongest priority. And up until four hours ago, was going to go campaign for Gavin Newsom when she returned in California. And you have a president who creates a hostage situation from vacation and goes back on vacation. Karen, I don't know if this administration truly does have our best interests at heart. Well, you used the word callous Mm -hmm. before. And, you know, my thoughts exactly. We have the vice president going off to Asia. We have the speaker of the house at a fundraiser in, I think, Napa or something. Not even talking about this. And and. You know, so I have to think in my mind, it's either sheer incompetence or it's purposeful. 
When you look, and you're expert at this, we're talking to Karen Taylor Robeson, candidate for governor uh, for here in Arizona. Her website, KarenForArizona.com, and she spells her first name K-A-R-R-I-N. K-A-R-R-I-N-F-O-R, Arizona.com is her website. Learn more to help out. But Karen, when you've done all the work you've had, you've done on the First Amendment, free speech, you've mentioned criti- the problems of critical race theory, there is this assault on our Constitution here domestically. You've talked about it in your speeches. Perhaps you can reprise some of it in our next segment, uh, your concern about constitutional provisions that are disappearing before our very eyes. Disappearing is too weak of a word, being taken from us before our very eyes. There is this down market view of America um, on the left from the progressive movement that has seeped too far into the Democratic Party, I'm sad to say. And it's not hard for me to connect the dots when you don't believe very much in America. Andrew Cuomo said the quiet part out loud. We were never that great. You can see why an administration of that ideology would not care about what's taking place the way you and I care about it. Well, absolutely. And a a friend of yours I know and a mentor of mine, Bill Bennett. Mm. You know, he always, I, I, I like to, to quote him often on any number of The three of, of us have done a lot of work yes. together. Yes, but he said, you know, how do you love a country you don't know? Right. right. S- hence the rewriting of our history. Right. Because if, if Americans and if school children understood American history, and more importantly, understood it in the context of world history, they would understand the exceptional nature of this country, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And in a self-governing republic that we have, we have to learn about who we are, what our place is in the world, and we have to we, – we can't sit on the sidelines. We have to participate or we're going to lose what we have. It's one of the reasons I love Karen so much, not just our family relationship over the years, but the strength and fight in this woman. She's fantastic. Karen, K-A-R-R-I-N-F-O-R, Arizona.com, Karen for Arizona.com. Check out her website. And uh, you can stay with us a little longer. I, I want to talk about those constitutional violations being okay. taken from it, the constitutional rights being taken from us when we come back. Can you do a little bit of that? Absolutely. I'm Seth Liebson. She's Karen Taylor Robeson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. When I was living in D.C. for about 15 years, whenever Bill Bennett and I had uh, business with the conservative movement in Arizona, the first person we would always call is our dear friend uh, and my dear friend, Karen uh, Karen Taylor Robeson. She is a candidate for governor here in Arizona, and her website is KarenForArizona.com, K-A-R-R-I-N-F-O-R, Arizona. Dot com. I've known you a long time. I have known you, Karen, as not only a committed conservative that I rely on and trust, but a damn hard worker, too. The, the audience, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to embarrass you, but I've seen you litigating cases in court at seven months of pregnancy. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> about your work ethic. You don't have to say anything about it. You do speak a lot about our constitutional rights and liberties that are at first slowly, and I think now more rapidly being taken away from us. Particularly, you talk about the First, Second, Fifth, and Tenth Amendments. I, wish, I wonder if you wouldn't mind saying something like, about that. I would, but first I do want to talk about the work ethic. Okay. <laughs> did, because, I, yeah. did I defame you? Yeah. No, I, You're um, a public figure now, so I can get away with it probably. Yeah, right. For better <laughs> for better, for worse, I've worked since I was about five years old. And, you are one of the and, hardest workers I know. And I have been immensely blessed to have the opportunities that I have from you know starting out at 25 cents an hour 
hour cleaning shelves in my my father's pharmacy in Mesa um, to, you know, billing uh, much more than that as a lawyer for for many, many years. But I've just been inordinately blessed with my opportunities. And you worked hard for them. And and I just yeah. And so I'm I'm thankful for that. But um, yes, to your question, you know, when when people you know, when we have long conversations about why I'm running, I talk about, you know, these four numbers, one, two, five and ten. Uh, and it grabs people atten- people's attention because they don't know what's what's coming next. But um, very quickly, the First Amendment is obviously important to all of us. There's a reason that it's the First Amendment, right? It's free speech and it's it's freedom of religion. Um, and my time on the Board of Regents um, in in Arizona it was a passion project of mine. The Regents Cup competition, which you've been in, you were yeah. uh, graciously. Uh, well, I was delighted. I was privileged to be, to be part of it two years in a row. Right, and I thought it's if we work. if we can't um, teach our kids how to advocate and persuade through civil discourse, we're in big trouble. And having the largest university in America, I thought, you know, we could lead the way mm-hmm. and show uh, others, uh, other universities around the country, uh, just model free speech and, and civil discourse. And so that's been a passion project of mine. One of the neat, let me pause on it for a moment, because the idea of educating children through these things, our, our young adults through these things, is another part of it as well. It's, of course, a demonstration to the commitment to free speech and intellectual and academic freedom. But I remember um, uh, watching a couple student competitors who, through this exercise of debate and exposure to ideas that you created with the Regents Come, students I talked to who were very, very gifted said, well, they started off on the other side, but through reading things they hadn't been used to and trying to learn the arguments um, from a position they didn't hold, you've created conservative college students. Yes. I just yes. want to well, point that out. It was a pretty good exercise. Yeah, let's not forget why public schools were initially started right. in America. Right. It, you know, STEM education wasn't a thing back That's right. then. That's right. It was about educating citizens to participate in a self-governing republic. Perfect. Right. So First Amendment and, and then, of course, freedom of religion. Of you know, John Adams, one of our foremost constitutional founders, right? He said this, this constitution is designed for a moral and religious people, and it is wholly inadequate for the governance of any other. Correct. That's right. Right? That's right. Right. That's right. So Second Amendment, number two. I, I, I might point out, and we don't have to get into anything too deeply personal either, that I also know you as a woman of deep faith and for some people, I just thought that might yeah. be worth well, noting. That's all. You know, I am, and I'm, I'm proud of that, very yeah. proud of that. Um, Second Amendment is non-negotiable, right? I, I've said before that, you know, I, I have, you know, in my possession uh, what uh, we call a collection. They call it an arsenal in California. <laughs> yeah, um, I love that line. What, 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 what Californians call a collection. Karen an arsenal. To- uh, an arsenal. What Californians call an arsenal, Karen Taylor Robeson calls a collection. Yes. I love it. And I come from a family of hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I tell you, if they left it up to me to go, you know, hunting for food, they'd be starving. But, <laughs> but I do have some good hunters in the family. Um, and I'm glad that I can, you know, protect myself and my family. But that is not why we have the Second Amendment, right? The Second Amendment is to protect us from the tyranny of government, period. And so the Second Amendment for me is, is non-negotiable. Uh, number five. The Fifth Amendment. You know, as a practicing lawyer for many years, I, I practiced in the area of you know property law, property law, land use, real estate, and uh, the takings clause is in the Fifth Amendment. Due process in the fifth, you know, mm-hmm. due process is in the Fifth Amendment, yeah. and you know, I I believe that the government, as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right? They're you know, even in the form of taxes, they're confiscating from us. Mm-hmm. 
that which is ours. And, and so rule of law, due process, takings, private property. Uh, and private property really is, is, is such an important part of America and who we are, the ability to own the fruit of your physical and intellectual labor and pass it on to your kids, right? When you look at what Washington is doing and racking up trillions and trillions of dollars in debt, they're, they're burdening our kids, and I refuse to sit back and let that happen. So that's number five. Number 10, states' rights. We, it, it's a one-sentence amendment. The power is not reserved to the United States or to or, – now I've, I've lost my one sentence. But, but if they're not specific to the United States, a reserve, they're reserved to the states right. or the people. Yeah, you got it. That's it. <laughs> you nailed it. Right? <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, it's the states mm-hmm. – that are the laboratories of democracy, and they will save our republic. And I am convinced that it's going to be governors pushing back against Washington, D.C., which is irretrievably broken. Washington has had how many decades to fix immigration and the border, and they have failed. Washington, D.C., and Congress has created a vacuum that the bureaucratic state in Washington has filled and when I talk about the Tenth Amendment and I talk about bureaucratic overreach in Washington, I, I ask pe- people this question, and I'll ask your listeners. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a civics question here. How many crimes are enumerated in the Constitution? There's I, three. I was, I was going to say I think I can name one or two, starting with treason, but go ahead. It, treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. There. I hadn't thought of the piracy one yeah. in a while. Yeah. Probably have to think about it again. The second question is how many statutes carry criminal sanctions? Any good guess, Seth? No, I'm sorry. 5,000. Wow. Okay, so there are 5,000 statutes, federal statutes, that carry criminal sanctions. But they want to get you, they're going to get you. Yeah, it gets better or okay. worse, I guess. Yeah. Uh, how many rules, federal rules, exist that carry criminal sanctions that could put any one of us in jail? Wow. 300,000. Wow. So these are 300,000 rules promulgated by unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats that could likely put any one of us in jail. We're probably breaking one of them right now. Probably. You know, and we don't know it. Mm-hmm. And, and so— That was my point in saying if they want to get you, they can get you, right? Right. right. And, and so we, we're going to have to rely on the states to push back. And we're going to rely on you. One last question as we go into the break, Karen. Yes or no, you're not going to make our kids wear masks, are you? You know what? That is an individual choice, and I am not in favor of mask mandates. Thank you very much. Karen for Arizona, K-A-R-R-I-N-F-O-R, Arizona.com. We'll talk again soon, I hope, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Seth. God bless you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I made reference to this earlier today. I didn't give it its full due, or at least the due I intended it to. But one of the interesting things about what's transpiring in Afghanistan today, it's as if it was almost forecast in the Bill Clinton administration in 1997. It was then where I first heard of Osama bin Laden. And he was interviewed by Peter Arnett, 
And Peter was talking to Osama bin Laden about his wars and declared wars against the United States, his jihad against the United States. And he said he doesn't fear the United States. The history of the United States from Beirut to Somalia, he said, was that we leave. We don't have the patience. We won't stick it out. As he said about Somalia, quote, after a little resistance, the American troops left after achieving nothing. They left after claiming that they were the largest power on earth. They left after some resistance from powerless, poor, unarmed people whose only weapon is their belief in Allah, the Almighty, and who do not fear the fabricated American media lies. We learned this from Vietnam. We learned this from Somalia. We learned this from Beirut, bin Laden said. And here we are. And here we are. As I said, Joe Biden likes to talk about the original mission in Afghanistan being to get bin Laden and destroy al-Qaeda and its capability to harm the United States or its allies. Uh, You may get tired of me hearing it, but I believe Joe Biden needs to be confronted with the fact that there was a – call it a third or fourth reason as well – articulated in every speech George W. Bush gave about going into Afghanistan, including the debates in Congress on the AUMF that allowed us to go, that gave us permission to go into Afghanistan. And that was to rout the Taliban. That was to get rid of the Taliban. The Taliban and al-Qaeda were effectively, inextricably intertwined. Symbiosis, if you follow the political science or the science. They were symbiotically related. Well, even if Joe Biden weren't eliding the Taliban in the original reason for us to go into Afghanistan, even if he were right that it was just about al-Qaeda and bin Laden, how about the fact that there is more al-Qaeda in Afghanistan today than there was on any day in September of 2001? or in August, or in July, or in June, or in January, or in March. or in There is more al-Qaeda now in Afghanistan than before we went in. By December of 2001, al-Qaeda was on the run, and the Taliban was out, out. That's why there's something named Hamid Karzai International Airport, and not Mullah Omar International Airport. I don't believe it'll be called Hamid Karzai International Airport for much longer. I don't know if it'll be an airport for much longer. Today, it's a war zone. Where 13 of our most precious lost their life due to horrible leadership. Horrible leadership. Leadership that cared more about a political photo op on September 11th of 2021 than about everything we have been about since September 11th, 2001. It's not that we left things the same. It's not that we left things better. It's that we're leaving things worse. 
we're leaving things more dangerous. We're leaving men, women, and children behind, and we're getting killed in the process. I can understand why the left doesn't like talking about American greatness. They just seem not to give two dams about it. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I had invited Rob to call back, and I'm glad uh, you have done so, Rob. Thank you for doing so, and thank you again to your service, for your service to America. Well, <clears throat> it was an honor and privilege to serve, but one of the things that I always think about is, again, from my military background, when you assume command, and I would say that being a commander-in-chief is the ultimate command, mm-hmm. You also have to assume responsibility, accountability, and have courage. Um, I'm seeing that this alleged president has none of that, nor do the senior generals in the Pentagon, including the Secretary of Defense, they seem to not have any courage, accountability, or responsibility. And I remember I was listening earlier to uh, Sebastian Gorka, and he had General Jerry Boykin, who I have a lot of respect for, even though he's Army. But he talked about the concept of honor. And would-be senior flag officers uh, should be throwing their stars on the table on principle to not support this commander-in-chief or any of the policies that are going on. And I reflect back on when Jimmy Carter had dumped the uh, general in Korea who back in the 70s wanted to, Carter wanted to get our Americans out of uh, Korea. And so that general got fired. Singlob. Um, Singlob, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. John Singlob. I'll uh, never forget that name. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so again, I go back on this so basic concept in military leadership about command, responsibility, accountability, courage, and most importantly, honor. And I'm not seeing a single damn individual flag officer throwing their stars on the table on principle, which tells me that they are all careerists and have bought into uh, the wokeness, the, uh, you know, all, all this crap that seems to be going on. There are no principled leaders in Washington, either on the civilian or the military side, and that is frightening to me. And I think that's all I have to say, Seth. God bless you, sir. God bless you, Rob. Uh, Plato reminds us that what is real is what endures. I think it's the same root for the word I use here often, which is durable. We care about the things that are durable, not the fleeting, not the evanescent, not the not the not the necessarily sparkly or shiny object that distracts us, not the meek, but the durables, the important things. When you're focused on those, you get a reprieve from the crisis industrial complex, which this country throws at you. It is interesting, I'll say it, what this government of ours, Rob, considers a crisis and what it doesn't. I thought what was happening on in Afghanistan was a crisis. I thought it was a crisis. I thought it was a crisis 
of unparalleled precedent. And in the midst of it, the vice president goes to Vietnam and the U.S. president goes on vacation. Returns to give a speech, take no questions, to return to vacation. I thought this was the crisis. He opened up his speech, not today, but the last time he spoke to us, by talking about Congress getting behind a $3.5 trillion spending bill. To him, that's what's important. To this president, that's what's important. To the left, what's a dereliction of the commander-in-chief's duty? To the left in the Democratic Party, what's an impeachable offense? A phone call to the Ukraine. A phone call to the Ukraine. I'm going to tell you what is real is what endures, as Plato did. And I'm going to tell you, not everything real that endures is a positive or good thing. They can be terrible things. Obviously, I think Nazism still endures. I think communism still endures. I think our battles against both still endure. I think our battle against terrorism still endures. But this administration seems to care more about vacations, fundraisers for Gavin Newsom, and Vietnam. Interesting place to be when the comparisons to 1975 are being thrown around, don't you think? Don't you think? And not a word, not a word, not a peep to the soldiers, to the military, to our allies, to the American people until 5.30 Eastern today. 5.30. Others put out statements. Others were able to summon statements. This White House was able to summon a statement before 2.30 today. Ten paragraphs on women's equality. Ten paragraphs that are meaningless. Risible. Killing offenses. Capital offenses in the country, I think, is the present crisis, Afghanistan. I was rereading the headlines, rereading the headlines about Kamala Harris, first when she got the nomination and then when she was inaugurated as vice president. Story after story after story about what Kamala Harris means to young women. Headline after headline, VP Harris serving his role for young women, role model for young women. Kamala Harris' leadership and what it means for young women. Kamala Harris gives American girls inspiration. Kamala Harris' role model and reminder of how far women still have to go. Kamala Harris... The ultimate role model. Have her explain what her administration's efforts in Afghanistan will mean for young women. Should end all that pretty quickly, I would think. Seth, we'll be right back.
Hospital. Trini Lopez there for you. Welcome back. I'm, I'm fixed on that freight. By the way, I'm sorry, this is our shortest segment. If you're on hold, there's a few people on hold. Call back tomorrow. We'll put you right at the top. I want to give you your full due and won't get enough time in, I'm sure, to put you on just yet. Call back tomorrow. I'm stuck on that word honor that uh, Rob used. I, I was put in mind of Pericles, the uh, Athenian poet and statesman, in his great funeral oration, he says, for it is only love of honor that never grows old. And honor it is, not gain, as some would have it, that rejoices the heart of age and helplessness. Indeed, right, honor does not grow old, and it gives the greatest joy, because what is honor? It's about defending noble and worthy things, that deserve to be defended. Defending noble and worthy things that deserve to be defended. It's not the easiest thing to do. The greatest things never are. And as Thomas Paine said, tyranny like hell is not easily overcome. The greater the effort, the greater reward. And I will tell you that this country and people who look to this country I think those are noble and worthy things that deserve to be defended too. And people who risk their lives to defend this country, you noble 13, God bless you. God bless you. And everyone else who has donned our uniform or in other ways stepped up to defend this place and people who want to affiliate with this place, and adopt our principles as theirs, as best they can. You did honorable work. You just don't have a federal government today as good as you are. That's the shame. May it end soon. Until tomorrow, we'll get through it. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class dismissed.